you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We want to look at this passage of scripture in preparation for our time with the Lord's Supper. Hopefully this will prepare us for that. Can I just build on what Adam announced earlier? This, um, we call them membership classes, but they're more than that. This is a great introduction to the Rock Community Church. doesn't matter how long you've been here, you might want to review, but the first class was this morning, and um, Elder Bill led us through the big picture, the association to which this church belongs. We were introduced to the AGC. Next week, Elder Dan will lead us in what we believe as a local church. And then the final week, we'll look at uh, more specifics on how we do church here at the Rock Community Church. So three classes that are required for membership, but it does not obligate you to membership. It just will really help you to become familiar with, with what this church is all about. I'd encourage you to take it as soon as possible. And like I said, if you'd like a review, it'd be good for that as well. Last Sunday afternoon, Cynthia and I had the opportunity to escape Woodstock and travel to Oakville to visit our four grandchildren. Joan is seven, Henry's five, Nathaniel is three, and Josephine one. And oh yeah, their parents were there as well. <laughs> Josiah and Patricia. Our oldest son, Josiah, serves as the pastor of Oak Ridge Bible Church in Oakville. He's bright, well-educated, thoughtful, and articulate. And not just, just because he's our son, but he's also a voracious reader. And so at one point in last Sunday afternoon's conversation, I asked him for some feedback on something that had been rolling around in my mind for some time and was really stimulated again because of the passages of Scripture we're working through here on Sunday mornings. First in Ephesians, and then again this, mor this morning in Romans chapter 6. I said to Josiah, do you know anywhere, of anywhere in the Old Testament sacrificial system, where God makes provision for intentional sin? In other words, when, when God's people would engage in an activity that they know and yet deliberately and consciously violated the law. They saw that no trespassing sign and they continued to climb over the fence in order to commit sin. To engage in something God had forbidden or to escape something that he had commanded them to do. Josiah thought for a moment and then he affirmed that as far as he knew, there was no mention of an offering that could cover intentional sin. Don't you find that interesting? The law mentions offerings that will cover unintentional sin, but nothing for intentional sin. But then Josiah went on to mention the Day of Atonement. That one day of year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make an offering on behalf of the entire nation of Israel 
for sins they had committed the previous year. It only happened once a year. And certainly, that offering would cover both intentional and unintentional sin. So let me be clear. The only sin that cannot be forgiven, according to the New Testament, is rejecting Jesus Christ as the Lord. As the Christ, the Son of God. That rejection in the New Testament is referred to as the unpardonable sin. After all, Jesus himself claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So unless you acknowledge your sinfulness, and Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Repent of your sin and ask for God's forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then by faith, begin trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. But if you refuse to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're committing the unpardonable sin. And as a result, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you will remain dead in your trespasses and sins. And as a result, if you die in your trespasses and sins, you will spend all of eternity in a place of torment called hell. The good news is that all who will trust in Christ have their sins forgiven, both intentional and unintentional. They will receive life that outlives death, eternal life with God forever. However, it does seem significant that God did not address intentional sin when he established the Old Testament sacrificial system for the nation of Israel. In all the descriptions of the Old Testament offerings mentioned, we find unintentional sin but no mention of intentional sin. And yet we know it existed. Adam and Eve were conscious and deliberate, well aware of God's standard. He made it clear, crystal clear. Do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So by not referencing intentional sin, perhaps God was sending the same message we find here in Romans chapter 6. Don't even think about it. Look at Romans chapter 6. Look at how it begins. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue, continue on sinning? Continue in sin so that grace may increase? In other words, can we use sin as a means of gaining more and more of God's grace? Verse 2. May it never be. Don't even think about it. Don't even entertain such a thought. And then in verses 2 through 14, we studied this passage at the last time we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Paul goes on to explain that God's grace has set us free. Set us free from the power of sin. You have been set free. Live as free men and women. But then, verse 4 raises another possibility. Notice, in verse 14 I mean. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. And verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Not continue on sinning, but shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Oh my. The first question was a question of taking God's grace, taking advantage of God's grace. Should I keep on sinning? Here in verse 14, we're looking at taking advantage of of being set free from the law. So we're free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want to do it. You know, the Old Testament book of Judges is a series of case studies, a litany of them, at a time in Israel's history when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They had thrown off the law. Free from the law. You might want to read through the book of Judges to refresh your memory on, all how, on, on how that all worked out for them. Before you adopt this approach. Or you can just take Paul's word for it here in Romans chapter 6. Notice, may it never be don't even entertain the thought. But the reality is the Apostle Paul can't make the decision for you or for me. No one can. This is a decision that only you can make. How will you use your freedom? Freedom from being under the law. Not under the law, but under grace. Only you can make that decision. But that doesn't prevent the Apostle Paul from trying to 
influence your decision-making process. That's exactly what he does in verses 15 through to the end of verse 27. Paul informs us, he directs us, and then he dangles a couple of carrots in front of us. This is a passage that we want to consider this morning, and so if you're able, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Beginning at verse 15, we'll read through to the end of the chapter. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be! Exclamation mark. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. At our men's Bible study this past Wednesday, we were focusing on a passage in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. You don't have to turn there, but listen to these words found in verses 22 to 25. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Let's pray together. Father, you are perfect in every way, without flaw or imperfection of any kind. As a result, we can have confidence that you inspired a perfect revelation of your person, your plans and purposes, and even your perspective for our benefit. 
And it has been supernaturally preserved so that we have these reliable copies to read, study, and ponder. As we do that this morning, enable us to gain an accurate reflection of who we really are and what you have planned for us to become. May we not walk away forgetting what we look like. Enable us to respond appropriately with an obedience that invites your blessing both individually and collectively. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to sin or not to sin, that is the question. But before you answer that question, here's what you need to know. Beginning at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. You do not know. You might want to underline that word know. Paul's saying before answering that to sin or not to sin question, he wants us to be sure to, that we're informed. And here are three things that you need to know. Do you, know, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, and that word translated slaved is doulos, so it's not speaking of the colonial slavery that took place in the southern U.S., where people were treated as property and possessions, mere pieces of machinery. That's not what Paul had in mind here. Rather, he's thinking of a household servant, someone who has given up their personal rights and freedoms in order to serve their master according to the master's wishes. When you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey. What's Paul saying here? Know that your choice to sin or not to sin is binding. It's binding. Binding in the sense that you're, you are choosing your master. Giving up your personal rights and freedoms to become a slave to sin or a slave of obedience. Obedience to God. Earlier this week, I was reading in Proverbs chapter 5 as part of my time alone with God. In verse 22, I noticed it reads, An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. Notice it's not someone else's sins. By his own sins. This is on us. We can forget the blame game. We are caught and held captive by our own sins. Individually, we choose to sin or not to sin. Now, I realize that I'm in southwestern Ontario, so this might be tough to imagine. I've spent 
Cynthia and I spent many years ministering in Western Canada where this illustration would be more appropriate. But how many have seen calf roping competitions before? Calgary Stampede, that kind of thing. For those that haven't, it's a, radio, a rodeo event in which a cowboy or cowgirl is on a horseback and they lasso a calf. And once the calf is lassoed, they jump off the horse and they run over and capture this calf and tie its three legs together with a rope that they had in their mouth called a pigging string. Maybe that's where we get that saying, you've been hog-tied. But once that rope is around the calf's three legs, he's not going anywhere. In a sense, we're the calf. And the rope is the sin that we're choosing. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve had two sons. Abel, the younger of the two, he made an offering. They both brought offerings to God. His offering was declared acceptable. St. Cain's was rejected. And we're not told why it was rejected. But what we are told is Cain was really not very happy that his was rejected. Listen to God's words of counsel to Cain. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Rather than master the sin that was crouching at the door, Cain chose to kill his younger brother. To which will you present yourself? To sin or not to sin? Sin is crouching at your door, at my door, and we must master it. Or it will become our master. Know first of all, that your choice to sin or not to sin is binding. Let's continue reading in verse 16 from the middle of that verse. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience to God resulting in righteousness. Know secondly that your choice to sin or not to sin is consequential. That decision carries huge consequences. And notice there are only two options. You can choose to become a slave to sin or you can become a slave to obedience. This is an either-or scenario, not an and-both. And either way, we're all just slaves, servants of sin or of obedience. The choice is yours. But there are inescapable consequences attached to that choice. The reap what you sow principle is in play here. If you 
choose sin, you reap death. If you choose obedience, you reap righteousness. I like how the New Living Translation reads, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Picture yourself standing at a fork in the road. Robert Frost captures it so well. Two roads diverge in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as far as that, as far as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. And yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. We stand at a fork in the road. Know that your choice to sin or not to sin is consequential. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. And the heart in the biblical context, you'll remember, is our mission control center. It is where everything happens that makes us us. It's really who we are, the heart, the core, the very core of our being. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And what form of teaching was that? The word translated form can also be, carry the idea of example or model or pattern. It is a form of teaching first displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ and later found in his apostles. Today, the same form of teaching can be found in gifted godly teachers who are committed to expositing God's word so that we can understand exactly what God is saying. Remember the earliest reviews of Jesus' teaching ministry? Mark chapter 1, verse 22 reports, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. It was to this form of teaching to which they were committed and to which we must be committed in order to have any hope 
of making the right choice. Look at verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Know that your choice to sin or not to sin is a gift. It's not something that you've earned or deserve. It's Christ's death and resurrection that has set us free from the power of sin. Remember, that's what that first section of Romans chapter 6 is all about. And then look at how the chapter ends in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what every one of us have earned. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free what? The free gift of God. Free for us. But for God? Priceless. It cost him his one and only son. There would be no choice to make apart from Christ. You and I would live and die in our trespasses and sins. Know that your choice to sin or not to sin is a gift. It's consequential and it's binding. To sin or not to sin, that is the question. But before you answer that question, here's what you need to do. Look at verse 19. Am I speaking in human terms because of the... I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, as the New Living Translation suggests, Paul is using the illustration of slavery to help us understand the implications of the choice we have been given. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, in other words, to trespasses and sins, resulting in further lawlessness, listen folks, sin is never the end. It's just a small step onto a very slippery slope. If you have any question about that, check out Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, where three times God gives us up to more despicable sins. We're given up in judgment. Sin's appetite is insatiable. It always wants more. It's never satisfied. It's a slippery slope. It's a downward spiral into more and more despicable sin. Paul wants us to make a different choice. Look at verse 19. So now present your members. You may want to underline that word or highlight the word present. We'll come back to it in a minute. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, 
resulting in sanctification. New Living Translation, so that you will become holy. NIV reads, leading to holiness. And Paul uses the exact same word in verse 22. Notice, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. In other words, we become increasingly more and more like Jesus, the person that God intends us to become. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2? We're becoming his masterpiece. Doing the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, choosing to give yourself to sin will never, ever, lead to righteousness, holiness, godliness. I asked you to underline that word, present. That's how it's translated in my NISB Bible. In the original language, it's an imperative. In fact, it's the only command in this entire passage of Scripture. Paul is not giving us something to ponder or an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, is how my Bible reads. Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, is the New International Version. You must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living, according to the New Living Translation. Later in this letter to the saints who were in the city of Rome, Paul comes to a section that's very practical. He's talked, he spoke in doctrinal terms, laying a foundation. Now he wants to talk about where the rubber meets the road. And this is the first verse of Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Give yourself to righteous living. To the development of habits, to words and to deeds, to actions and reactions that will please and honor God. Give yourselves to them, intentionally exercising with discipline. Doing them even when you don't feel like it or have a better offer. Do something that you would enjoy or do nothing at all. No, pass on those. There is nothing here in this passage, by the way, that suggests that this will be easy. To sin or not to sin, that is the question. But before you answer that question, here's what you can expect beginning at verse 21. Therefore, what benefit or what fruit? Same Greek word is used in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In chapter 7, verse 19 and 20, 
The book of Matthew, it reads, Every tree that does not bear good fruit, same word, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Same word. Galatians chapter 2, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, same word, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit. Therefore, what fruit were you then driving, producing, or reaping from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive, produce, reap, your benefit, fruit, your fruit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Those are the two carrots that Paul dangles in front of us this morning. Freedom from shame and death, freedom to sanctification and eternal life. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Have you been following the headlines lately concerning Hillsong Church? It's all over the news. Here's one title, headline, Celebrity Pastor Carl Letts Fired from Hillsong for Moral Failures. Carl Letts is Justin Bieber's pastor. That's how he became famous here in Canada. Subtitle, Pastor Carl Letts was fired from Hillsong Church amid ongoing discussions in relation to leadership issues and breaches of trust. Pastor Brian Houston revealed he's the head guy over all of the Hillsong churches around the globe. In an Instagram post, Letts wrote this, I am deeply sorry for breaking the trust of many people who've loved serving and understand that this news can be very hard and confusing for people to hear and process, he wrote, asking for forgiveness. Do you hear the shame in those voices, in, the, in that note? Let's said that he is on a journey of rebuilding trust with his wife and children and seeking help. The shame. I can't imagine. To sin or not to sin? That is the question. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, it is crystal clear. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, I think is meant to give us confidence. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's possible to make the right choice 
couple of verses that I committed to memory early in my Christian life as a result of a Christian group that I was involved with on the university campus that has proved to be helpful throughout my walk with the Lord. The first is Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word have I treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Been really helpful over the years. And can I just say, I don't think it's meant for just young men. I think it'd be, that verse applies broader than that. And treasured means hidden in your heart. In other words, memorized. And then the other verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this one may be, this may be a homework assignment to commit these two verses to memory. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is the common demand. You may think you're unique. Other people have faced the same temptation. Some have fallen, but some have won the victory in Christ. No temptation has taken you, but such is his common demand. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape so that you may be able to stand up under it. Always a way of escape. The choice is yours. Choose not to sin. Choose to do the right thing. At this time, I'm going to invite Bruce Raymer, a fellow elder. He's going to come.